0: Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to have our guest on, Dr. Cedric Bright. Dr. Bright is the Vice Dean for Medical Education at Admissions and Professor of Internal Medicine at the Brody School of Medicine in Greenville, North Carolina. We have a great discussion about diversity in healthcare and what that future potentially looks like, and how different shouldn't be seen as deficient. One of my favorite lines from our interview. Before we jump in though, I want to talk about Blueprint MCAT and the MCAT minute brought to you by our friends at Blueprint MCAT. Did you know that they have a lot of free resources? Go over to blueprintmcat.com, sign up for their free account, completely free, and use their study planner tool to map out your plan for your MCAT prep. Without a great plan, what are you doing? You're just just haphazardly going through life. So go over to blueprintmcat.com, sign up for their free account, use their free study planner tool, to make sure that you have the best plan possible when it comes to preparing for the MCAT. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com. All right, let's go ahead and jump in and say hello to, to our new friend, Dr. Cedric Bright. Again, the Vice Dean for Medical Education and Admissions at Brody School of Medicine. Dr. Bright, welcome to the pre-med year. Thanks for joining me. Well, wow,
1: thank you for having me. Uh, this is uh, certainly uh, an honor uh, to be with
0: you today, Dr. Gray. I'm excited to. to yeah, I'm excited to chat with you, uh, and learn more about your story, more about your passions, and potentially see what we can do for the future of our physician workforce. How's that sound? Sounds like a plan. When did you first realize that you yourself wanted to be a physician? Oh wow, man! <laughs> uh, go back, I, go back I, a couple years.
1: Eh, just a few. <laughs> um, you know, I was born educators. My father and mother were both public school teachers, and as such, they were big into reading. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my my beginning of reading was probably when I was in three three and four years old. They had books for us to start reading, um, and one of these was a series of books about different occupations. This is what a fireman does. This is what a nurse does, and engineer. Um, And, you know, I read the book about, you know, I read the books and the one that I found to be my favorite was This is What a Doctor Does. Uh, And my brother, a year older than me, read the books and he decided he wanted to be an engineer. 25 years later, I became a physician and he was an engineer. And so there's power to, you know, forming dreams early. Uh, and and having um, the opportunity to make it come to fruition. Um, Certainly it was not easy for either one of us, Mm -hmm. um, but yet uh, we stuck to our goals and and would not take no as an answer. And, you know, fortunately we had a family that supported us in those uh, endeavors and um, had some insight on in how to be a college student because they were both college educated. My parents were college educated. I was actually a fourth generation wow. of college educated out of my family, uh, and so you know I noted that in many ways that I, I'm I'm privileged mm. uh, to be able to and to to have had that step up over a lot of people that are trying to get to this role that have nobody in front of them that's ever been to college or no idea of how do you set goals or what do you need to do in high school and things of that nature. So, uh, indeed I I was fortunate, uh, but because of that, that's why I do the work that I do now, Yeah, which is to try to make sure that I help students who, who don't have that gain that social capital in order to be successful.
0: Yeah. Talk about the the passions, right? You're, you're a physician, uh, but. Now, I, I don't know if you practice still, but you, you're highly involved in medical school admissions and the administration at a medical school. And you have a passion now for helping other underrepresented students getting into medical school to, to help fix our workforce diversity issues. When did those passions start to, to come on board or, or were they always there and you just finally found a way into that world?
1: Um, great question. <clears throat> I think for me, it's when I first, um, well, I fell into academic medicine serendipitously. I had two mentors who were white women who poured into me when I was in my residency program and thought, you know, you could be good in academic medicine. Um, and at that time, I actually had gone to a residency program where I was the first black male to ever go to that residency program. Um, and so, you know, it was not, it, it was a pathway that I had to blaze Yeah, because there was nobody in front of me, right? And so um, I ended up coming back and, and working at the Durham VA where I became the first black male to ever be up, hired as a physician at the Durham VA. This is in 1998. Mm. I thought we were done with first by, by <laughs> 1998, but now nah, I was still the first. Uh, and so while I was in that role, it became pretty obvious to me that because there weren't that many male faculty, black male faculty, it's only two. Um, that, you know, for maybe some for black males, that might be an issue for them that they might not find somebody they can uh, relate to. Then I realized that that translated into black females and then the people in general who were different. Uh, and then even into uh, white males and white females who come from underserved areas yeah. uh, that I can, you know, they can relate, we can relate. And so my, my passion became, um, how do I help students that have a dream and a goal? How do I become a dream maker and help them to reach those dreams and make those goals? Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's what I've been doing. That, and you know, it's, it's been a wonderful, wonderful purpose-filled life, uh, to be able to pour out grace, uh, to these young people and to help them to grow in their grace. And then watch them start pouring out on the people that come underneath them. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, that's what we're really trying to get to. We're trying to develop people that care because we practice healthcare, right? Right. Yeah. You know, health about the care is our health disparities often occur. Right. Because people are trying to take care of somebody they haven't invested in. They don't really care that much about them. Yeah. But when we have people that have that proclivity to care from the beginning who are that altruistic spirit, um, and we can teach them how to keep people healthy or to help them maintain their health, then those are the types of positions that will transform healthcare. And that those are the types of folks I'm looking
0: for. 100%. What has given you the strength to be those firsts? The, the first black resident in your program, the first black attending uh, at the VA, w- what has given you the strength to, to do those things? And, and do you think that students going through this process now will still face some of those, those headwinds that you had to face being the first?
1: Um, the answer to your last question is yes. As long as race is an issue in the world we will always have headwinds.
0: yeah.
1: So we may as well be prepared for that mm. uh, and, and expect it, uh, such that it's not a surprise to us. Uh, I hate to say that, I wish it were not the case, uh, but honestly, I, I, I can't say that medicine has changed, but has it changed so dramatically from the time that I was a trainee, to now where I'm a, a dean, uh, not that much, not that much at all, but it has changed, it's better. It is for the better. At least it's not overt. It's now more covert. Yeah. But, you know, but we can we can you still figure it out. Um. How did I get the strength? Grace, God's grace. Number one. And great parents. You know, my grandfather was the second black to pass the bar in the state of North Carolina. Uh, back in the day, he was run out of town by the Klan because he wasn't used to being called a boy. Uh, he came from up in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an orphan. He was an orphan in New York, who then went to World War One, and then came back and went to Howard University, where he was an athlete, and then became uh, went to the law school there, and then moved to North Carolina when he married my grandmother, because uh, she was from North Carolina, and um, yeah, they got run out of town, second black past of the Barter state, and then. You know, my father was uh, in the civil rights fight in Winston-Salem. He was in the sit-ins in Winston-Salem at the Woolworth uh, two days after the Greensboro sit-in. Mm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he, he he stood up by sitting down. Uh, and the two of them as as males really impressed upon me as a young man growing up um, that, you know, you can't be afraid to be the only one. Because you if you know who you are, and you know whose you are, that people can call you anything they want to call you, and it won't stick, because you've already defined yourself. And that's one thing that I tell our young people today, is they have to understand, they need to define themselves, they need to know who they are, they need to know what their purpose is, that's why I say who's they are, mm-hmm. right? The purpose. Because when you define yourself and you have that, then you can weigh things that come your way, And you can determine whether that's going to be fruitful and beneficial for me or it's not. And then you know what to get involved in and what not to get involved in. Uh, And I think that sometimes people just kind of can be bushels, can be like, like what is it, a timber weed Mm -hmm. and just kind of roll with the wind. Now you got to have some roots in this world. If you're going to be, if you want to be something strong and something great, you have to plant roots and you have to grow like a tree.
0: Yeah. I love it. I, I want to talk about uh, the numbers of black men applying to medical school, getting into medical school in this country. Uh, I know you just had a paper come out recently. Um, and, and the biggest thing that, that's been known is that uh, the numbers of black men matriculating into medical school was higher in 1978 than it was in 2014. 14, right. Is it is it just as easy? Is it easy just to say, "Oh, it's because of mass incarceration policies," or or is it just a huge multifactorial issues that are that are going on here? What what's happening be, for that reason? Well,
1: I, it's multifactorial. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it's it's the public school systems that that under resourced. Uh, it's the, the teachers in the public school system that don't that don't encourage dreams the same, mm-hmm. uh, who let reality shade more of what a kid can dream than uh, the fact that they have a dream. And how do we foster that um, to uh, perceptions of self? not If you can't see it, you can't believe it. You can't achieve it. Uh, you know. To uh, the kind of the stigmatism of being a smart male in in school, especially as a black male, and and you know, instead of being an athlete, you're more glorified in being an athlete than you are in being an intelligent male. Hmm. Uh, fortunately for me, I was both. I was an athlete that happened to be a nerd, <laughs> uh, and so that worked out for me, right? Um, but certainly, if I'd gone to a school that was, I went to a, i went to a boarding school, let me say that, so predominantly white, once again, in one of those environments mm. where academics was expected, but had I gone to a place where athletics was more celebrated, I, I would have been on the periphery, mm. right? Um, but there's good news to this story, Ryan. And the good news is, is since 2014, we have seen an increase in the number of black males coming to medical school. Yeah. Such that we went from 515 in 2014 to 680-something in 2020 to 860, 841 in 2022. Yeah. So why does that occur? I, I think the clarion call that was made by that paper is one. Yeah. I think that that raised awareness to an issue. Anything that raises awareness makes people start focusing on that, makes people more sometimes intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that and we've had also we've had more programs that have been put in place that uh, are exposing college students to becoming physicians, especially uh, our black males and even our black athletes. Yeah. And helping them to understand that you can be an F, you can memorize a playbook to play football. And you can probably memorize most of the stuff that you need to and have the critical thinking because you can memorize a playbook, but you have no critical thinking, you can't execute, right? Yeah. But you have that ability to execute that playbook, you probably have the critical thinking skills to become a physician. And so. We've really worked hard. The fields been laborers have been out in the fields. You got people like Dale Accord Doodoo who had the black men in white coats. Yep. And did the movie Black Men and White Coats.
0: Yep. I supported um, that movie.
1: You got the Dr. Days that's on social media. Uh there's a Joel, another brother, Joel Burkett or something like that. Forgive me, Joel, for messing up your name, who is um
0: are you talking about Joel on in, on Instagram jo- and TikTok? Yeah, Joel. Joel yeah, is amazing. Uh, oh, what Danny, he's bringing, Danny. yeah. Um, he's awesome. So we
1: got people like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How much? It, it's it's always interesting. Um, I, I I know after um George Floyd, there was a lot of white people that are like, oh shoot, like this is an issue. I need to learn and. The the black community was, I don't want to say the majority, but what I heard was, it's not our job to teach you. Go go figure it out. And so when you talk about the black men in white coats or the the fifteen white coats with Doctor Lede or Joel on Instagram, these are black men out there trying to spread the word. How much of that should be put on their shoulders versus my shoulders as a as a white man? To help improve this situation.
1: Oh, well, you know, <laughs> honestly, Brian, we're not gonna go very far. If the only people that are that are fighting for the cause are those who are the victims of the cause. Yeah. You can't ask the oppressed to solve their oppression. Yeah. Uh, we have to have to have those who are oppressing to realize that the oppression is not the right thing to do. Uh, And and, you know, this is not a new concept, Brian. I mean, when I was at Brown and we took over the building uh, in in 1985, you know, advocating for more students of color, more faculty of color, more financial aid, all of those things to help improve the community's diversity. Uh, You know, we had to tell folks then, you know, don't ask us to educate you, go educate yourself. Uh, But I think there's a fallacy to part of that. I, I think that because now there's so much information that you can go educate yourself and go off the wrong road. Yeah, uh, And so I think there's, it's a combination of us working together and helping each other and, and, and developing that cultural humility, Brian. You know, not cultural competence. Cultural competence implies I read the book, I took the course. Now I know everything I need to know about everybody that's different than me. Mm-hmm. But cultural humility says, I read the book, I took the course. I know just not to be dangerous. So let me ask questions. Let me humble myself and ask questions and not make assumptions.
0: Yeah.
1: Let me not work off the stereotypes. Uh, but let me ask people, you know, what's important to them. What are their fears? What, what, what are their concerns? What are, what are they missing? What do they need to learn? Yeah. Uh, And then find the areas that I fit to help them with that and then help them to find the other areas that I can't help them. And so, uh, that, that that's kind of my answer to that. And I really believe that we all have, we all have to come together. I I hate to think that the only time that we'll all come together is when there's some external force that, that threatens like the movie Independence Day, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> In the movie Independence Day, everybody comes together. Yeah. Like around the whole world, you know, you saw the Israelis and the Syrians, you know, fighting to go fight the aliens, right? They didn't th- they forgot about their differences because we all became one Then We were human. Yeah. Well, the fact of the matter is we are human and we need to work to form more bonds about our our similarities than we do about our differences. But we need to, where we have our differences, we need to understand difference doesn't mean deficient. See, that's when you have a supremacist mindset. Yeah. When a supremacist will say that because you're different, you're deficient. A regular human being will say you're different and let us celebrate. it."
0: I love I love that that outlook uh, as as a parent of a child with a disability right that's that's how I have to see the world for her uh, is that yeah she she has a disability it's it's different she's different but it doesn't mean worse than whatever red um,
1: uh, well, not uh, deficient
0: yeah it's it's an interesting outlook on on life when you think about it in that way uh, let let's talk about something potentially to be scared of uh, as an outsider in in the administration world, uh, the application um, or the uh, uh, admissions world, rather, we have the Supreme Court soon going to rule on um, race-based admissions. How how much <laughs> of that are you scared of at, in terms of making uh, this progress that we've had getting black men and, and more un- underrepresented people in a medical school, it, how far will that set us back, if any? Or do you have plans in place to, to circumvent that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a very serious concern that a lot of people are having. And I've sat and thought about this a lot, and I, I've been engaged in this, this arena because I was at UNC when the original um, suit came out. I was at the, at the medical school there and did some work for the deposition the back then. You know, and, I, and, and we practice holistic, re, holistic uh, admissions process, holistic review is what we use in our medical school. And what that implies is that there is not one aspect of the application that's more important than another part of the application. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about a holistic review, I like to talk about the analogy that there are four tires on a car, Ryan. And each one of those tires has to have a certain amount of air in it, right, in order for the car to operate efficiently. Certainly one tire can have a little more air. If you look at my car, I got one tire that has one more air. I have another tire that has a little less air because we have train tracks that I run over every day. Uh, And one of my tires is sensitive to those train tracks, right? And so it has a little less air. But my car can still run. Mm -hmm. Now, if my car gets a flat tire running, I can't go very far until I call AAA and they come out and do my tires right. And so that's the analogy of what a holistic review is about when we talk about holistic. Each one of those tires is represented by a, a domain like your GPA, your MCAT score, the amount of clinical hours that you have, the amount of volunteerism that you have. Then we look at the type of letters that you have. Right, then we look at where you come from and how does that relate to Eastern North Carolina? I'm speaking specifically for the Brody School of Medicine. Yeah. And then and then, are you interested in primary care? Because we're a primary care school, right? So those are the things we look at. What did I not mention?
0: Yeah, didn't mention race at all.
1: There you go. Yeah. No. So we haven't even mentioned race. We don't even look at race because we, we look at all of these other things, right? Uh, and race, if it, it becomes part of the, of the process, it's because we as a school have a third pillar of our mission that says increase the medical education, access to medical education for racial and ethnic minorities and those who are underrepresented in medicine, mm-hmm. which would be rural, okay? And that, that's rural, rural period. That's rural white, rural black, rural Chinese, rural, Okay. So that's inclusive of everybody. And so from my perspective, if we are truly operating from a holistic uh, uh, review process and we're weighing everything equally, then race will not be an issue for us if they make that as something we can't see, okay?
0: How? How though?
1: That's, that's on
0: the how school. on the undergrad? That's a whole other yeah. ball
1: game. You know, that's a whole
0: other ball
1: game. I, I, and so that is a concern.
0: Yeah, I, I still, I, I want to, I want to ask more. How yeah. if you're not looking at it? I, I love the phrase. I don't know if you've heard it. It, it you can't improve what you don't measure. And, and measuring to me means you have to be uh, unblinded to the student's race so that I know we're doing a good enough job getting black men in this specific situation into medical school. And and I, I have to know that. I, I would assume I have to know that to make sure that we're, we're improving this variable that we want to improve on because we know it's going to help the totality of, of healthcare. I, I just, I don't understand if, if you're looking at lots of variables and you just assume that on the back ends people show up and you're like, oh, you're a black male. woohoo Thank God. Right. Uh, how well, how do you make yeah. sure that happens?
1: Well, Ryan, you know, we have to do the things to mitigate unconscious bias. Yeah. You know, we have to we put our admissions committee through training to help them understand their unconscious bias uh, such that they. Don't operate from that perspective. We blind our interviewers. Our interviewers, when they interview our candidates, the only thing they know about that candidate is what shows up on their screen and their name. Mm. They don't know their GPA, they don't know their MCAT score, they don't know the school they came from. Love it. They don't know what their parents did. Yeah. Okay. Because each one of those factors is one of those co founders that will start biasing whether yep. they like that candidate or not. <laughs> Even the student's I name is a
0: bias, right? We, we have lots of data showing the, the names know, on resumes. I can't, is... <laughs> I can't change that. Yeah. But but why not bl- why not blind the student name too?
1: Well, I can blind the student name, but it's not going to blind them when I'm doing <laughs> virtual interviews yeah. and they show up on the screen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. At some point in time, who you are, it's got to show up.
0: It's got to show up, yeah.
1: It's got to show up. What I'm trying to do is mitigate the bias that when you do show up, they interview you for you. Yeah. Here's my camera. Right here. They interview you for you and not what you show up as. Yeah.
0: Because
1: we all got got value. Yeah. Of course. The point is oftentimes we become devalued because the things that we have that are showing up are not what is called normal. Yeah. So and you talk about measuring. Yeah. I'll be honest. You know, we do at the end of the day, we do look at it and, and say, how are we progressing in having a diverse class? Because we want a diverse class, because we need to have doctors in the future who are comfortable taking care of people that don't look like them. Yeah. And it goes both ways. I mean, we as black physicians, we learn how to take care of white folks all the time. <laughs> some white folks don't even want us to touch them. Yeah. Right? They're like, oh hell no. You can't come in here and do me. Well, here, take my trade. You can't be the doctor.
0: You know? <laughs> I, I just saw an amazing TikTok video. I, I love TikTok. I just saw an amazing TikTok video of, of a uh, of a black physician going when when the the patient doesn't want to be seen by a black doctor, and then another black man comes walking in. Little do they knew that little do they know that my backup is also a black man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Or
1: or in the instance where this guy was attending said, "Okay, I'll fix that patient. He sent another black person in, but it happened to be African. Yeah. And 30 minutes later, the guy came out and the guy was like, well, what happened? He said, well, he had an accent. So he wasn't black.
0: Uh, (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't. Unfortunately, unfortunately, you can't. Let's let's go back, right? Because the the people that are showing up for the interview, especially the black men, have already overcome so many barriers that we have in place, including things that I'll call a spade a spade. That the organizations that that run this system that are trying to help improve this system. Are some of those barriers, the cost to take the MCAT, the cost to apply to medical school are, are set up by the AAMC that are also trying to help improve these numbers. How do we fix that?
1: Well, we work hand in hand with the AAMC to, to address these issues. We look at how do we it, it decrease the threshold for students to get fee assistance, mm-hmm. Right. We work on uh, moving to virtual platforms so they don't have to pay to travel to go to different medical schools. I mean, just, in fact, that is probably the number one reason why the number of applications to med school went up so much during the pandemic. It, it wasn't a, a Dr. Fauci effect.
0: <laughs> that was, was fake. Yeah.
1: There was no traveling and they could virtually sit at home and interview any place in the nation. Yeah. So now the conundrum is do we go back to in-person interviews, which then once again starts to disadvantage yeah. certain populations, right? Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we, we, the other things that we need to do with the AMC is, is we need to develop the free resources. The AAMC worked with the Khan Academy yep. to develop free resources for students to study for the MCAT, right? But those haven't been perpetuated. They were done they stopped and they haven't been updated. And so, you know, where does the funding come to do that? Because that's important. You know, it, it's important about having vocabulary. What Where do we get books that we can give out to our students that give them the nomenclature mm. that they need to know in order to be successful taking the test? Yeah. Right? Because test taking and then having test taking skills. That's another thing we have to help our students get better at. Hey, if you go to poor uh, poor performance schools, they often write essays for their test exam questions, as opposed to taking multiple choice questions. And then the multiple choice questions have different levels of of, of rigor. You know, you got those that are A plus B equals C. You got A plus B that has a a consequence of C that then equals D. Yep. Then you got A plus B and a C, get <laughs> an F, and then you end up with a G.
0: <laughs> you're, you're giving me, you're giving me flashbacks right. to the step exams.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. You know, so, but you're, that's a great point, Ryan. Because yeah, it's not just one time they got to take the exam. Nope, it's the right. Yeah, right. Every time you get to another milestone, there's another exam.
0: Yeah,
1: and then once you get to your boards, you got to get me certified
0: <laughs> for lots of money. Right? Yeah.
1: Money every time. But now you'll be making the money. <laughs> to pay that money. Yeah. The first time around, you got to dig up that money. That's why most applications from people of color end up coming in later because mm. they had to raise the money to apply. They had to raise the money to take the MCAT. The MCAT they couldn't raise the money until August. So they're taking the August MCAT and they applying in September. Well, the data shows if you apply in June, you have a better chance of getting into medical school than you do if you apply in September and October. Yep, that also impacts. And so it's like you said; it's multifactorial. multifactorial.
0: How how much burden do the medical schools bear? Uh, in 2019, I, I gave a talk in Toronto. Um, the the Altus Assessments, who's now Acuity. Insights, the people that run Casper and Duet and Snapshot. They put on an admissions summit. And so there's lots of deans, directors of admissions. And then I was invited to speak as the voice of the pre-med. And so I did a bunch of research. Uh, we, we looked at, I think, 100 different medical school websites. And only, I, I think off the top of my head, only 24% talked about rolling admissions. And and what that means. And, and to me, I was like, the, the biggest word for me was transparency. And I had students fill out surveys. And, and that was the number one word that, that students talked about was more transparency from the medical schools in terms of what they're looking for, in terms of what makes a successful applicant. How much can we push back on medical schools? to be more transparent, to talk about, as you just said, people who apply in June are, are going to be more successful because of rolling admissions. But no schools are talking about that. They just say, hey, our deadline is November 15th or whatever it is.
1: Well, you know, I, I can't speak for the whole system. But what I will say is in my role as an admissions team, I I take my admissions, rolling admissions to the seriously to help such that the percent, the, the percentage or the possibility of a student getting in at the beginning is the same as the possibility of the student interviewing on the last day. And so I don't front load all of my admissions and then say, oh, all the rest of y'all are S out of luck, right? Mm-hmm. What I do is, I, I, as I say, I slow my roll or my role of admission <laughs> such that people can have the same possibility of getting in, whether it's at the very beginning or at the very end. That's what I do. Yeah. Now, I can't tell you that everybody does that. um, But, you know, there's so much turnover once you admit people. People come you know, you get on the alternate list. Most of all of us go down our alternate list, at least 15 to 20 to 30 students. Yeah. And so, you know, even if they're later in the year, they still have the opportunity to get in. Even if it's off the alternate list, it's still an admission. Right. Yeah. And so. And then the other thing about transparency, uh, Ryan, you know, we, we fill out these um, uh, descriptions of who we are in the uh, AAMC book, the MSAR book. Yep. Uh, and that's that's where we put it down. That's that's what we say of what our students who are successful are and and what are our typical metrics and this, that, and other. I mean, we're, we're pretty transparent and all no. of that. The,
0: the that MSAR was, that, that students have to buy?
1: Well, no, no, We we don't expect students to buy the MSR. We expect the student um, uh, advisors to buy the MSR. We expect the school to buy the MSR and have it available for their students to buy an electronic version, yep. so that the students can then download it for free from them. We I, I don't expect them to buy that, but but you know, people do. Yeah, people do. It's just another expense. It's another way of trying to. To, to move this away, you know, 70% of the medical students come from about 56 colleges, 70%. And most of them come from the top two deciles of income earners, Yep. okay? That's what medicine is. That's what it always has been. What we're trying to do is we're trying to change the face of medicine. Why? Yep. Because we want people that don't have, don't come from that different demographic, to be a part of this process and help increase diversity of our workforce. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so it's going to, it's just going to take time, bro. Yeah. It, it takes time and, and people who are conscientious about it and keep people who want to keep making a difference. I can't change all of the things that the fees that they have to pay in this, that and other, but I can give them direction. Yeah. And I can point how they can find alternative ways to find the same information without having to spend money. Uh, and I can be a source of information and talk about it straight out of my mouth. And so, you know, that's that's what I try to do. I talked earlier about being a grace, about being pouring out grace. That's the grace I try to pour out.
0: Yeah.
1: What, what can... And I, I know other deans yeah. who are like me. We have a cohort of deans of color. Uh, who meet at the AAFC, which I just missed this past weekend, Yeah, who, who are admissions direct uh, deans. There's about 20 of us now, okay? And so we will have summits uh, and, and seminars in the spring for pre-meds to get engaged in. I will make sure to pass that information on to you this year so you can get your folks engaged.
0: Please, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would love to... Uh, Start going to the AMC conferences. It's something I haven't been to before. I thought about it this year, but I was I was in the middle of the Indian Ocean on vacation. So I couldn't couldn't go this year. Um, Good reason. Good reason. Uh, what can the student listening to this? Let's assuming they're they're still listening 35 minutes in. What can they do as a pre-med student, whether they're a student of color or not? What can we start doing to start thinking about our impact on the the makeup of our future physicians
1: well uh, the first thing i would do is take inventory of your friends Mm. and if you have a homogeneous friend group then you got an issue Mm. you need to diversify your friends because you need to understand that the complexities of life are not the same for everybody, even if you do look alike, but even more so when you don't. Uh, and so if you want to be a part of, if, if you want to play a bigger role, because we all gonna have a part. The question is how big a role do we have? If you want to play a bigger role, learn about people who are different than you. you. Come to celebrate things that are different Uh, as opposed to calling what is different a deficiency. Um, spend your time understanding uh, how people um, view health, you know, right? There are two types of abuse of health. Health is one thing that some people try to protect. Health is something that when they lose it, they want to go get it back. Those are the two main focuses of health. We got to understand which one of the different people and how do we help the people that are the situational is something I have until I don't have it. How how do we get them into a position where they stop having to survive? That's the survival mode, right? Yeah, to able to thrive where they can be proactive about things. Uh, But you know, if if you worrying about where your next bill is coming from, and whether your lights are gonna turn out, and you're not being paid a living wage, and you got multiple generations living in all in one house, you know that's not that, that doesn't become a big issue for you until something in Paris that you came to, which you normally do to provide for everybody else, because everybody's counting on you to provide.
0: Yeah,
1: right. And so we have to look at those aspects. So what other, what they can you know, other students do? Um, they can work on becoming collaborative. They can learn on how to become fingers that come together to form a fist and work collaboratively much stronger. To them as individual pieces of knowledge. Okay. Yeah. And so that I think is what That's one of the big game changers of med school because the, the amount of volume that you get in med school is what the issue is. Everybody is smart coming to med school. Yeah. But how do you handle the volume? Well, you handle the volume a lot better when there's multiple people working on that volume than just you yourself and becoming comfortable with that. Uh, and then the other thing is I want you to get comfortable asking for help. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness, young people. Mm. Asking for help is a badge of strength, right? Because guess what? When you become a physician and you don't know something, you need to ask for help. Because otherwise you're going to hurt patients. Yeah. So the sooner we get comfortable in asking for help, the better off we can all be.
0: How much do you think, uh, I, I go back to, One of the things you just mentioned in terms of just trying to survive, um, we are not a very much a a social safety net kind of country, unfortunately. And you look at other countries and their citizens do very well because they're not worried about where their next meal is coming from. They're not worried about going to the doctor because they're going to have to pay for it. How much should our younger generation start to get interested especially those who want to be physicians get interested in, in advocacy and learning about different healthcare systems and potentially seeing that a universal healthcare system like the majority of the the, the rest of the world does would actually benefit patients in the long run
1: uh, I think that's a very important point that you raised that our, that our students need to Learn for themselves, you know uh, the, the old the old adage of trust but verify. Mm-hmm. You know one of the things that the, one of the critical thinking skills that you have to develop is the ability to look at a resource and say to yourself, what is the bias behind this resource? Mm-hmm. So, so that I understand what is the slant of the information that they're trying to feed me. Okay, uh, and then you have to try to find those un- where you can find the facts, yeah. right? Because facts are supposedly unbiased. They're facts, right? And so, you know, you have to learn how to look past the subjective and find the objective. Uh, and I think that's how we can become better advocates. I, I, as Martin Luther King said, a man who has not found something for which he is wanting to live is not fit to die, right? Right? which means that we all have to find our purpose in life in which we're going to be the drum major. You know, he always talks about the drum major. Uh, And, you know, for me, being the drum major is being where I am right now and doing this type of work and trying to make a difference in generational change Mm -hmm. for people, right? Right. and so we all need to find our niche in which we're going to advocate. We need to be able to be discerning in our research and understand the biases behind the subjectivity around our facts, which are objective, uh, and then being able to execute a plan and stay focused uh, and not get dis- and not get uh, distracted. Uh, is another aspect of where our young people today need to. You know, you know, pick a cause and stick with it. And, and, and don't be like, you know, the timber weed and, and keep changing directions and changing causes, you know, because you meet a new girlfriend or, and something, <laughs> or something or something or something like or or a new boyfriend. It's yeah. another significant other and they have other ideas. And you go, Oh, that was different. I think I'll join that, you know, um, stand up for something. Otherwise, you'll keep falling for everything.
0: Yeah. Uh, Dr. Bright, as we wrap up here, what kind of final words of wisdom do you have for the student out there listening to this? thinking that, that maybe they don't belong or they've they they, they they've been struggling and they, they don't have a mentor in their life to continue to motivate them on this path?
1: Uh, I, I would say to them there are a couple of things I would say. Uh, first, I remind them of the African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, take somebody with you. Mm. And, I, and I would say that, that what you need to do is find your posse to go along with you. So on the days that you feel like you don't belong, as you don't feel like you're included, they'll be the ones that will lift your spirits up and remind you that indeed, yes, you are worthy. Yes, you are valued, okay? You need to learn how to write statements of affirmation on Post-its and post them all around. When you want to make a goal, you need to put that goal on a Post-it and you need to put the steps on the poster and put those in your mirror, in the bathroom mirror when you're brushing your teeth. OK, you want to have statements of affirmation. For every time somebody tells you you can't, some, can't do something, you need to have a affirmation statement that says I can and I will succeed and put that on your refrigerator door. And you need to keep reading them until you believe them. Yeah. Right. And remember, failure is not final every successful person in life has failed. In fact, you cannot succeed without failing. Yeah. You know, and failing is not final. It's only final if you lay there, but if you use that as a setup to make a comeback, then at every time you learn something from it, then we need to learn how to start celebrating failure because failure is the first step to success. Okay. Um, you know, if you don't, speaking of success, if you don't get into medical school the first time or you don't see something the first time, remember that your dream is not denied you at that particular moment. It's only deferred. If you're willing to keep fighting and keep getting back up from every time you fall down, eventually you will get to your dream. So a dream deferred is not a dream denied. We got people that apply to medical school four or five times before they finally got in. Persistence. This thing is real. And most importantly, Brian, I would tell the young people out there, you have everything you need right inside of you. You're a glorious female. You have all of the potential in the world. You have to tap it. You have to work at it. You know, faith without works is dead. You have all the faith in the world and you don't do nothing with it. You don't work toward the goal don't press toward the prize. You want to achieve it. Hard work is how everybody succeeds. And that's calling pulling yourself up by a bootstrap. But first, we got to make sure you got a boot. And then once you get a boot, we can pull it up. Because you're going to have to work sometimes just to get to the boot. Right? Yep. So you got to embrace hard work. You got to embrace failure you got to embrace your positive, and you've got to embrace yourself and understand that you have within you what you need. And all you need is set people around you to keep helping you bring it out. And that would be my final one. And when I talk about you having everything in front of you that you need and inside of you that you need, I want you to look at the picture. You see this picture right
0: here? That picture, yeah. Unfortunately, these we're not men- recording video, but it's a picture of the 15 White Coats, and we'll, we'll put it on the 15. website.
1: Okay, the 15 White Coats. Why is this so important? Because these are the children of the ancestors who while they were living in these slave quarters about freedom, yeah, about opportunity, about resilience. They... Went through the bondages of slavery, survived it, produced children that have now become the children's children that now stand here in these white coats. Our ancestors' shoulders we are standing on, and that's what prepares us to do this work. It propels us to succeed, it propels us to, as we climb, reach back. And that's what we do. And that's what we should all do as humans. That should be a human tenet. That for every time I climb a step, I'm pulling somebody along with me. That, my friends, is why you can succeed.
0: All right, there you have it. Again, Dr. Cedric Bright from Brody School of Medicine. A great conversation about diversity in healthcare and what we all should potentially be doing to increase that diversity. So important to have diversity in everything in life, including who our physicians are. Hope this was a great episode. Don't forget to check out blueprintmcat.com. We'll see you next time here on The pre Years.